Okay, so <clears throat> today we are going to um, be in chapter 11 in the book, When a Brother Needs Forgiveness, but before we get there, um, are there any questions or any comments that you wanted to make or ask from the previous chapter um, before we get into it? The next one here. Anything? Okay. So, we're staying in Corinthians, right? So, 1 Corinthians, last couple classes, then this class will be 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And there's been some debate, there's been some discussion. Uh, if you read in the book, it was interesting. You said um, up until the beginning of... Um, was it this century? Can't remember exactly no, what it's. Twentieth century. Twentieth century. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That um, there was no question that Second Corinthians was about the man in First Corinthians, right? But now there seems to be a push or a a wonder that maybe this was not. Maybe this was actually more about Paul and how Paul had been offended, and you know Paul's forgiveness and so forth, um, questioning Paul's authority to teach what he taught. Um, according to the book according to this author and honestly I still feel that that it it more closely relates to what we have in 1 Corinthians um, seems strange that God would have preserved 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and not given us the backstory for 2 Corinthians so that we could really totally understand it but it fits so perfectly with what's in 1 Corinthians right yeah so so I'll let you draw your own conclusion, but for this class, we're going to assume this is the man in 1 Corinthians, okay? Um, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of difference because I think the principles are still there, but it makes it much more easy, or much easier, I think, to understand um, once, we, once we put it in the context of 1 Corinthians, uh, what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians. So, I like, I like his story, and I want to start with that story um, that, he wrote, or that he's got in his book. And uh, Josh, you want to read this story? Sure. Um, I'm getting my glasses out here so that I can read it a little easier. So why don't you read, uh, let's see here. Well, go ahead and just read all the way down through that, you know, two-thirds of the way down through 128 to that, to that next section there. Just right all the way till the process isn't finished. Yes. Okay. It was a typical Sunday morning, and the service had just gotten underway when Bill walked in the back door and took a seat. We were all caught off guard, and I remember my first thought as if it were yesterday. What does he want? I later learned that most of the small congregation felt much the same way. You see, only a few months before, Bill had boldly announced that he was leaving his wife and two lovely children for another woman with whom he had been carrying on an illicit relationship for the past several years. Despite the pleas of various members of the church and the traumatic effect on his family, he moved in with the other woman right before the watching eyes of our small town. There was only one course of action open to the church, and we took it not in a hostile way, but with fear and trembling. In a meeting of the entire church, after discussing the Bible's instructions on discipline 
and our, and our unsuccessful attempts to get Bill to change his mind, we agreed that we must withdraw our fellowship from him and formally did so the following Sunday. Still, there was a great deal of anger in our hearts toward Bill. It was all so senseless and unnecessary and tragic, and he was so callous about it, even, even telling us defiantly that he would, he would be disappointed if we did not disfellowship him. So, when he walked in that Sunday morning, just weeks later, he didn't find a group of people who were in a very forgiving mood. At the close of the sermon, we found out what he wanted. He walked to the front of the auditorium during the invitation song, sat down on the front pew, and began to confess tearfully what a fool he had been. He had had everything any man could want, but had thrown it all away. As he wept, he acknowledged everything that we and his family had tried to tell him earlier, and he begged God for God's forgiveness and ours. I'd like to report that we were overwhelmed with sympathy and compassion for our fallen brother, but it wasn't that easy. We accepted his statement of confession, but it took a while to even begin to really forgive him. We had become frozen in our anger toward Bill, so much so that when he responded to God's discipline and to his own foolishness, we weren't ready to receive him back. After all, just look at the damage he had already done, we thought. Besides, none of us had really thought beyond the process of discipline. Our fellowship had been withdrawn. That was the end of it. We had done all that God required, or so we thought. So, when you think about this story, doesn't matter if it's Bill, doesn't matter if it's Anybody, right? Pick a name. This this could be a real world story. I mean, it could be that maybe Bill came back 10 years later. It could be maybe Bill came back the next week. Here, it just said a few weeks later. What What strikes you about this story and about the response? David? The anger of the congregation. The anger of the congregation. Okay. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Okay. I think, do you, let me ask you this. So, so let's go back to when Bill left, right? When Bill left. So there was probably some anger, right? There. There was some hurt. There was some <clears throat> disappointment. All things that probably were legitimate. I mean, there can be anger and still be righteous anger, right? I can be angry at the situation. I can be angry that the person has done this. But when it becomes vindictive, then obviously it becomes a problem. So leading up to this point, when Bill announced this, when he defiantly said, I'd be disappointed if you didn't disfellowship me. In other words, I wash my hands of you. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, all of these emotions, I mean, there are going to be emotions. We're human, right? We're going to run through the gamut of, of emotions in this situation. Especially, said a small congregation. I mean, you know, are we a small congregation? It's up to you. There's some 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 <laughs> member congregations out there, so compared to them, we're very small, right? But to have a, a set of emotions that you go through when something like this happens... I don't think that in itself is wrong to have those emotions to go through. 
But now let's turn the table. Now we have the fact that Bill has come back. This is where the story ultimately is going, right? And I think that's where you were kind of leaning, right, David, that well, he has come back and their anger is still kind of controlling their attitude. And hate the sin, be angry at the sin, but not the sinner. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. We because use that phrase. Yeah, we use that phrase, right? God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Uh-huh. Right. And, and he does. Right, absolutely. And we need to follow his example. Absolutely. And that's not always easy. Right, absolutely. What other what other thoughts? What other things might be going through your mind, Micah? It it stood out to me. Uh, one of the last things it says: none of us really thought beyond the process of discipline. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And I think maybe if we're not careful, that sometimes ends up being our thought process on discipline. Once we discipline, we've done what God wants us to do, right? Well, what happens when discipline works? What does God want us to do then? And I think that's what that's what uh, this this class is is about. Um, something interesting. I'll just say this. Something interesting that when Phil asked me, I thought, well, that'll I'll tie right into it. At the the last quarter this upcoming year, there's going to be an adult class on the Peacemaker series and peacemakers big part of that is about forgiveness and how we forgive and our attitude in forgiveness and I'm going to be one of the teachers in that class <laughs> so hopefully I'll be able to call on some of this discussion as well and it would be interesting to, to have some of you in that class as well I'm not saying that you need to you may decide you don't want another class to do with me that's which is fine um, but for Craig's sake you know, well I guess you're not you're not going to teach that class are you? I make no commitments <laughs> <laughs> So, so we see this response. This response was, how would you ter- determine it of this congregation in this story? Robin? It was understandable, but it was not um, the attitude we should have. Okay, all right. Yeah, from a human standpoint, we kind of understand it, right? But It hadn't been very long. Right. So the wounds were still very, very fresh. Absolutely. And I, do, I, I think that, that plays into it for sure. You know, if somebody has been gone for 10, 15 years, 20 years, and they decide to come back, some of those wounds have healed over, you know, there's still some scar tissue there, but it's not open and, and, and really sore like it was maybe. Well, and, so, and I think the other thing is, when it's been a long time, I, I'll just speak for myself, I think, oh, well, they, they suffered enough. Uh, I can, it's been 10 years, they've <laughs> suffered all those years, I can, I can forgive now. Okay, okay. Interesting, yeah. I think there's a matter of trust, too. According to this story, he had been having this illicit relationship for years, but he'd just been acting like everything was fine as far as the congregation. I don't think it's right, but I would have, a, would have had a um, problem with, okay, does he really mean this, or how long is this going to last, or is he still keeping on with this woman, but he wants the relationship with the people here. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think these are all legitimate things that, that we have to struggle with, that we would struggle with, absolutely. Absolutely. John? We, uh, you know, I've grown up with hearing the word carnal and haven't always felt comfortable necessarily with that word, but, you know, earthly, fleshly, I think it's a very carnal response 
that the congregation had. In contrast to a, a heavenly response, Leanne just whispered to me, how, how do we want God to forgive us? You know, I don't want God holding back his forgiveness um, from me. Right. Yeah, in my Bible I have, and um, I can't remember exactly where it is because there are several passages on forgiveness, but I have written, if God were to forgive as I forgive, where would I be? Right? And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Exactly right. David, you look like you want to make Yeah. Uh, we're not given these details, but I do know of congregations where someone has quote repented and asked for forgiveness in this kind of situation where they're living with someone that they have no right to live with and they say we're not sleeping together anymore so uh, you know we've given that up and so I want you to forgive me. And sadly, I know of congregations that have accepted that and you know, allowed them to be in fellowship, even though they continue to live under the same roof. And to me, that does not meet the requirements. And, and I'm shocked that there are congregations that would accept that but sadly I know those that do. it's crazy how sticky we can be isn't it yeah when, I mean I, I I'm just talking about how situations can can be really sticky with humans when we get when we get our will and our desires involved and 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 set aside what God wants us to do and how God wants us to act and appear well, and, a lot and of be. times there are children from this absolutely holy relationship and so you know we're staying together for the children that's right that's right so what do you think in this story and and I think this actually falls over into the the Corinthians attitudes as well in this story what was the I think Micah hit on it but let's talk discuss that a little further what was the 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 attitude or the or the the driving force that allowed this congregation or the vast majority of this congregation to have this attitude toward this man when he came back that untrust, still untrust, still will forgive, but it's going to take a while to forgive. Karen? It says that once their fellowship was withdrawn, that was the end of it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think the idea that we have to constantly be preparing ourselves for their return, you know, bitterness and things that can creep in if we're not... Um, not only just reaching out to them, because if we have opportunity, we need to take those opportunities. Yeah. But um, just the constantly examining ourselves to see, are we prepared for their return? Right. Yeah. So, so when we're discussing discipline, and we've, we've spent, and we say this over and over again, the goal of <laughs> discipline is what? Restoration. Restoration. The goal of discipline is restoration. In this case, restoration was being sought, and the congregation seemed to be a little hesitant maybe to fully <clears throat> accept and restore this person back 
and it and I'm not saying it's not difficult <laughs> there are certain situations probably some that we even know some that may be closer to others than not but certain situations that if someone says I've been a fool you know crying penitent seems to have a penitent heart I was wrong. I need to come back to God. How hard is it going to be to set aside our carnal minds and accept what they're saying? Because who truly knows a man's heart? God, right? God. That's right. Craig. Because sometimes we have a heart that wants to see justice done with other people, but we want to see mercy done with us. Oh, yeah. So the person comes back, they're asking and begging God for forgiveness and for us for mercy, right? But there may still be a temptation for us to go, wow, but justice hasn't been yeah. done. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> with all of us who are Christians, of course justice hasn't been done with any of us. We'd all be ruined. Right. Um, so being being willing to offer that to them in the same yeah. way that God offered it to us. Well, it's interesting too, and in this case, it seems it says he came back in a few short weeks later, right? And so, when you think about this idea of justice, wait a minute, you haven't suffered enough, right? right? We haven't been able to punish you long enough yet. Notice the word I use: punish, not discipline, right? Punish you. That means we're going into this this attitude of discipline is punishment. Is is its goal is punishment? No, the goal is restoration. The goal is restoration. Uh, I think a good analogy, you know, if we discipline our children and they come back to us, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, forgive me, how many of us wouldn't forgive them? I mean, that's a no-brainer. And we need to look at that, at this, through those glasses as well. Yeah. You know, I go ahead, Karen. Well, I was just thinking that, you know, what Joy said about the trust being broken. I guess my question is, obviously that is is a factor in all of this. You know, we've talked to our kids about, you know, if you choose to lie, yes, you know, we'll expose that, we'll deal with that, we'll forgive you but you're gonna to have to build back that trust. The next time you say something, we may say, mm, I don't know that I trust, you know? Yeah, like, I need to verify this. We need to like check with the other ones right. and make sure because they have a, um, they have had a pattern of, of not telling the truth. Um, obviously we want to fully forgive the way God does, but what part does needing to build back <coughs> that trust have in this equation? I don't know always, and I'm not saying it looks the same every time, but I think that's where I would struggle to mm -hmm. know how there will take some time to build this mm -hmm. back. Does that mean that I'm not forgiving as I should? Right. Okay. Good question. Good question. And, and I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? The relationship between forgiveness and trust, maybe. Robin? I think just because you forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean that 
everything is going to go back exactly the way it was. That you can have a right relationship with that person, but it might be different. Oh, I think that's a good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it may never get, like in this situation, the relationship, from what I understand, now he doesn't say it, but it's kind of implied that the relationship with his wife is done. Right? Now, does forgiveness mean that she has to take him back to be, or, yeah. So, right? So, so, so now, now that may be another can of worms we don't have to talk about, but, but, Relationships in um, um, and forgiveness and or trust and forgiveness may be a little different. Maybe a little different. Maybe one can be done and the other is incremental. Maybe. And um, that is the one big difference between the way God forgives and the way we are expected to forgive, because God knows hearts and we don't. And he knows that we have that limitation, so he's going to give us instructions that we can actually work with, and so we can't um, fully trust someone whose mind we can't read. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, that's a good point. The way you worded that, that's a good point. I think that's right. I like that. John? And yet Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3 to forgive as the Lord forgave you. I, I acknowledge I can't read hearts like God can. Right. But I'm to, I, I think I am to forgive as God does. And I don't want God saying, well, I, I forgive you, but uh, it's just not going to be the same between us anymore. I don't think he does that. But that's, that's hard. It is. It is very hard. So, okay. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Robin? I think you have to think about that other person, too, because... Um, now, um, a, a behavior has manifested itself, so you know a little bit more about that person. You know what maybe their temptations are going to be. And so the way that you relate to that person on their behalf could be different than it was before. Yeah, maybe that's where we call that trust, right? I don't want to put this person into a situation yes. where I know they've struggled in the past. Yes. So I don't trust them to be able to maybe always make that right decision, so I'm going to try to be in their best interest and not put them into that situation. Yes. David? Yeah, that's where I was heading. Okay. And I think the author toward the end of the chapter talked about uh, you know, someone that's had, a tr had problems with embezzling, you wouldn't want to put them in the position of church treasurer uh, because you don't want to put that temptation in front of someone who has demonstrated a weakness in that area. Okay. Good. Good. Ian? And Yeah, I think I said that wrong before. Our trust is not in the other person but in God. Right. And so if we fully forgive and trust that God is going to direct our steps in helping this other person recover, then we don't have to um, constantly be suspicious and evaluating whether we can fully forgive without constantly evaluating whether this person is telling the truth because God is reading his heart. But we don't forgive in the same, okay, I'm still going to say it wrong, 
in, in the same set of full knowledge, I guess okay. I'm trying to say. Okay. Of really knowing right. fully what's going on the right. way God does. Right. So so the way that I kind of look at this, um, I don't know if this is right or wrong. When we talk about trust and forgiveness, is that I think my responsibility is to trust that the person is sincere in their wanting forgiveness and trust that what they tell me because I, like you say, only God knows their heart. God forgives. I have to trust that. Now, I don't, I don't know that a part of forgiveness is, and it goes back to what Robin was talking about, a part of forgiveness requires that, you know, I was the deacon, the treasury deacon for the church for years and years and years. And if it was found out that I was embezzling money and I confess it and I, and I pray for forgiveness and, and then tell the elders... It won't happen again. Forgive me. I'll just keep doing this. Does that even make sense? You know, is there a trust in? Yes, I trust in your forget in your sincerity, seeking forgiveness. Um, but this whole idea of in your best interest, knowing that this is a temptation that has caused you to have a problem, is it more loving to help? try to remove that temptation than to trust that I can just keep throwing this temptation in front of you and you're, you're not going to sin again. So, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you, you're the one kind of brought that up, Karen, and, and I agree. I think that that's, that's difficult, and I think even with the children, it's the same way, right? Although, there's one, another side of that, in that if a child keeps getting into the cookie jar and you tell them no, and you find out cookies are missing, and you go to them and you find out they've lied and said no, they didn't get cookies. And do you decide, you know what, I'm just going to hide the cookie jar so it's not a temptation? No, part of the learning process is we don't remove that temptation, right? They, so I don't know that there's a I don't know there's a cut and dried answer to any of this. And I think a lot of it has to be. I'm going to keep going back to this idea of fellow our fellowship with each other. How well do we know each other? How well do we know each other in true Christian love to know what I can and can't do or what I should and shouldn't do to be the most valuable help to you in your struggle over this um, like, like we do with our children. I know, you know my child and I know, you know what, I'm not going to remove that because they need to learn. But in other situations, maybe if I don't remove something, then maybe I'm playing with fire with someone else's soul. And is that right as well? John and Craig. Well, as as the parent comes alongside the child to help them uh, and help them with their you know struggles and and to deal with the heart issues, we should do the same with one another. You know, forgiveness doesn't mean well. I just take your word and and we just move on. You know, as if nothing has changed. No, you know, there's going to need to be that coming alongside that accountability that's going to be needed for their good, not for my benefit, but for their good. Good. Great. Uh, one of the things we've uh, been discussing recently in our, our home is that uh, saying sorry is not a uh, get out of jail free card. Like, right. Just if I say sorry, then there should be no punishment. There should be no consequence. It should just put it all back to normal. Um, sorry, we should be willing to forgive. Anytime someone says sorry, we should be willing to forgive. That doesn't necessarily mean that there will be zero consequences going forward. Uh, and so we, we've been saying it's hard to know people's hearts. I don't know if you're being sincere or not. 
Um, and it's true. Only God truly knows. It is, there are a couple of red flags that help us indicate whether perhaps they're being sincere. And uh, one of those is if someone comes asking for forgiveness and then they put the stipulations on you as to what should happen going forward. <laughs> I have a tendency to doubt whether you're being sincere. Um, repentance should require a humility. I've done wrong. I'm willing to accept whatever happens because I, I'm the one in the wrong. Um, I don't get to call the shots. Because um, that's how we should approach God, right? Right. right. God, I've wronged you. You're the creator of the universe. You do with me as, as you seem just and merciful, hopefully. Um, so again, it goes back to, uh, Boyd uses the, the phrase a lot, but they don't get to dictate the, uh, the, terms. the terms. Right, yeah. I think of the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Where you were talking about the consequences and, right. and the fact that you know, God forgave David but there were still consequences. And so we have to be careful that we don't think, well, once God forgives, then he's going to reverse everything that, that what I have done has caused. No, there are still consequences to that. And, you know, the, the, the child that was being born to David and Bathsheba um, did not live. And God said it wouldn't. And, you know, David, he mourned and he begged and he, he, he put on sackcloth and ashes. And, um, but God, no. This is, these are the consequences of your actions, but he was still forgiven, and it was still forgotten, and David was still a man after God's own heart. That's hard for us to grasp sometimes, I know, you know, looking back on, on the things that, that David ended up doing in his life, but yet it still goes back to God forgives in such a way that I don't even know that, that we even understand right? Because how could God call David a man after his own heart unless God was able to forgive, knowing like Anne said, knowing the heart of David was it, God was able to forgive to the nth degree that we strive to do, that probably is a way that we struggle to do, but he calls us to do anyway. John? So, well, this has been referred to already but the footnote at the bottom of page 135 the last two sentences there. Uh, those who have offended in such trusted roles and insist that if truly forgiven, they should be trusted again, may not have repented at all. Penitent people don't make demand. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So I think Tommy South probably got that from Craig. <laughs> Sounds like from Boyd. Let me read. Uh, let me read an excerpt from um, "Peacemaker" by Ken Sandy. All right, this is interesting. <clears throat> think of Bill in this this story, right? The story of Bill. Think, think of this in this situation. And Ken Sandy writes: There have been times when my honest prayer was, "God." I cannot forgive him in my own strength. In fact, I do not want to forgive him, at least not until he has suffered for what he did to me. He does not deserve to get off easy. Everything in me wants to hold it against him and keep a high wall between us so he can never hurt me again. But your word warns me that unforgiveness will eat away at my soul and build a wall between you and me. More importantly, you have shown me that you made the supreme sacrifice giving up your own son in order to forgive me. 
Lord, please help me to want to forgive. Please change my heart and soften it so that I no longer want to hold this against him. Change me so that I can forgive and love him the way you have forgiven and loved me. That probably could be an honest prayer for many of us when people have done us wrong and have asked for forgiveness. Karen? makes me think of some of the things we've been reading in Ezekiel through our daily yeah. Bible reading and how, you know, how God paints the picture of what the people had done to him and how they had totally abandoned him after he had done so much for them. And there's an element of forgiveness that we are putting ourselves back in the place of willing to be hurt. You know, we're... we're making ourselves vulnerable again, I guess, because we've been hurt by what someone has done in their sin, and so now we are willing to put ourselves back in that place of I'm willing to for this relationship to be mended, knowing that I may be in a place where um, I, I guess I could be hurt again. Not assuming that that's going to happen, right. but I'm I'm willing to be vulnerable, and sometimes that's hard. We don't we don't want to go through that hurt again, so we build up walls or whatever. No, I think yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I couldn't help but over the last several days, I agree in the in the reading. You know, Sovereign Lord says, and then talks about what's going to happen, right? You're going to be destroyed. These other nations are going to come in. They're going to wipe you out. But I love you, and I'm going to save. There's going to be a remnant, and, there, and Israel will come back. Um, um, and I have to believe that's because God knew that ultimately their hearts would be broken. Um, their, their will would be broken, and their hearts would be softened. And um, he made a promise, and he's good to keep his promises. And that's what we have to remember with us, too, right? God has made a promise, and he didn't make it just to Israel. He made it to all of mankind. When he, when he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins, he, he forgave us and will forgive us um, and bring us back if we are truly penitent in what we have done against him. And if God is willing to do that for me, who am I? to withhold that from someone else. But it doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's always easy. So here we have 2 Corinthians. So we have this man in 1 Corinthians, had his father's wife. Paul told him what they should do. Basically, you know, I think he even used in a couple of the chapters, he said, whatever word you want to call it. What it's called excommunicate, ostracize, shun, um, disfellowship, withdraw fellowship, whatever. Let's, you know, we won't get into the semantics, but the idea was he was to have no relationship with the church. The church was to basically, if you this is the way you're going to be, you cannot have fellowship with us. And don't know how long it took, but it seems to have worked because we see in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter two, Paul writes. Um, some of these words, let's, I'll start in verse 5, just 5 through 11. 
But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive indeed, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So here we have this situation now in Second Corinthians. Well, you tell me, based on what you've read and the different versions maybe you've read and some of the clearer words than the New King James that you would have read. read. What, what do you understand is being done here? Or that Paul is instructing them to do here? Again, making the assumption this is the man from 1 Corinthians. David? did repent. Okay. And Paul's saying you need you need to forgive him and accept him back. Okay. All right. To what extent? Well, it's as if maybe they need to be the father of the prodigal son who has returned, and he's welcomed back, and not just welcomed back, but you know. To, to a, a high degree. Okay. That, that it was unexpected. Okay. Even on the part of the son. Okay. And what appears to be the situation that this person has come back, it doesn't appear that, you know, maybe he's, we'll use it in our understand or the way that we, things are done today, right? So he didn't come back Sunday morning and walk forward and Paul's addressing that in you know that Sunday, right? It seems seems to me that he has come back and asked for forgiveness for a while. That that he has wanted this restoration of a relationship for a while. Because Paul says what? Verse six he says sufficient is is the punishment. Yeah. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So the idea, if the way that I understand this, the way the, the idea is is that he has come back, but yet there seems to be some that are still insisting on this disciplinary action to continue, right? So not only did they accept this man in his sin and say he was fine to worship with us and we're wonderful because we accept anybody and everybody. Paul corrects that. No, you need to discipline him. So now they discipline him and he wants to come back and it's like, oh, you can come back but we're still not going to do anything, have anything to do with you. Now it is interesting that in verse 6 it says the majority, which is unique because it doesn't say all. So I get the idea that there may have been some that had a little different attitude in this. So Paul is addressing the majority who he has a problem with in this congregation. There again, we don't need to get into those weeds, but I just find that, found that interesting. But 
Paul is basically saying, no, <laughs> you don't get to, inf- in, um, not inflict, I don't want to use that word, you don't get to practice discipline and then continue to practice discipline when this person comes back with a penitent heart asking for forgiveness, right? So that is the attitude that discipline would have been the end result, not the goal, right? Where restoration is always the goal. So, John and then Dave. You think about uh, what's termed the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Okay. You know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's the situation of this man and, the, and his heavenly, uh, the heavenly reaction? Well, I think we know that God is rejoicing over his return, and the same needs to happen on earth. Part of that prayer, too, is also, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's right. Yeah. And on earth as in heaven. I mean, there's a lot said in that, that short short prayer there. David? Yeah. I don't think there's any way of knowing, but I almost wonder if there weren't some important that Paul told us not to have anything to do with this guy, so we shouldn't have anything to do with him. Uh, not understanding that the reason for that was the fact that he was unwilling to repent of this sin and you know was you know kind of proud of what he was doing right oh we delivered him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh right no we're done yeah yeah it's interesting so it's interesting that in this study that we've kind of taken a little bit of a turn right instead of talking about the actual discipline we're now talking about in this class especially um, what is our response when discipline actually works right when discipline works, what is our response? How do we... And there again, this is not... This really has nothing to do with the person being disciplined other than he appears to have a penitent heart and wants to come back and be restored. But the church, or the majority anyway, are having an issue with this. And Paul's saying, no, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't accept him and then shun him, and then not accept him again if he comes back with a penitent heart. That has to be the way things are. Micah? What might be often overlooked um, is, we've talked about love in fellowship, and love in addressing sin with one another, and love in discipline. And they're having struggle with reaffirming their love whenever discipline has worked, because We've forgotten that love in the process. It's it's what how do we process the hurt and the anger? How do we focus on the love between First Corinthians five and Second Corinthians two? Because because sometimes our mind will tend to uh, go off in different directions and lean toward uh, vindictiveness. Good. Forgiveness is so deep. <laughs> There's so much involved in that. So much involved in that. And 
one of the things that also, um, and this is from the, the Peacemakers, Peacemakers book uh, from Kim, Ken Sandy. He says, when you say, I forgive you, or when your heart says, I forgive you, you are promising, one, I will not dwell on this incident. Two, I will not bring this up and use it again against you. Three, I will not talk about this with others. And four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's probably one of the hardest ones, that fourth one right there, right? I cannot dwell on the incident. I cannot bring it up. And you, well, that's a tough one sometimes too. <laughs> but but for, for me, I cannot do that. And I cannot talk about it to others. But the hardest thing for me is that, especially if this was a sin against me, right? The hardest thing for me is I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship and our, and our spiritual relationship. I, I would throw that in, in, in as well. Um, that would be the hardest, and it is the hardest thing for me. Um, because of the hurt that has been caused. And sometimes those wounds take a little bit of time to heal. But yet, these are things, these are principles. If you look in the Bible, these are principles that God expects of us because this is the way God forgives us. And I think that's the point. We are to forgive as he has forgiven us. He doesn't dwell on the incident. He won't bring it up and use it against us again. He will not talk about this with others. And he will not let our forgiven sin stand between the relationship that he and I can have. Why do we think we can do that with others? Great. And we're, we're only hurting ourselves when we choose unforgiveness. Um, I couldn't find who the quote was attributed to, but unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping the other person will die. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that crazy? We're, we're hoping that, oh, they'll really feel the effects of my not being willing to forgive them. No, we're just, we're just hurting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, John. chapter 7 of Second Corinthians is a good corollary read to chapter 2 because he talks more about uh, the sorrow. Right. And, and really, he was concerned about that sinning brother. He was even more concerned about them and their attitudes and, and, and their repentance was real. And so I found that helpful. It's good. Thank you. So the last question was, what if the church fails at this point? right? What if we don't do this right? Then verse 11 basically says, we give the devil opportunity to take advantage of us. We give the devil an opportunity to take advantage of us. right? This whole thing should be about love and about forgiveness and about God's mercy and grace and how we are to do that. But if we don't do this, we're opening the door for Satan to come in and start to tear down and destroy us and destroy the church. So, just some things to think about. Our goal is restoration, and once that happens, we still have an obligation, we still have a responsibility um, to forgive as God has forgiven us. So we will do chapter um, 12 on Wednesday night, and then Craig after that, Craig will take over for the next several weeks. So watching out for false teachers. Watching out for false teachers. I'm sorry, disciplining the domineering. My bad. Disciplining the domineering.